Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. And I fundamentally believe that the way businesses will grow and scale in 2020 and, and beyond is through an unrelenting focus on customer employee experience. And I think every interaction should be one that helps build loyalty and advocacy, as opposed to it just being a transaction. You know, if, if we rely and create our businesses around transactions, then that's easy to disrupt. Someone who can always find a faster way, a cheaper way to do it. Uh, but also, uh, you know, it feeds into this notion that people aren't required in business. Yet, you know, uh, you and I both uh, both uh, would agree that people are essential to business and, and certainly essential to our communities and to our happiness. So for me, uh, it all starts and end with, ends with the experience that we create for our customers and our, and our team members. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. And if you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with creativity expert David Chislett and with co-author of the book New to Big, David Kidder of Bionic, then do check them out. Listen in, but only after you've listened to today's conversation, of course. Because I'm really excited today to have on the InnovaBuzz podcast as my guest, Jason Bradshaw. With experience in everything from telecommunications to government, media and automotive, Jason has a depth and breadth of experience to inspire, engage and deliver business growth results as a global thought leader on customer and employee experience. At 14 years of age, Jason started his own telecommunications and hardware distribution business. It was there he began a lifelong passion for customer experience, even if he didn't know exactly what it was called at the time. It didn't matter because this first foray into entrepreneurship gave him a taste of how to offer customers an experience, an unforgettable experience and not just a product. In 2018, Jason released his first book. It's all about sex and no, we haven't changed our clean rating for this podcast. When I say the book is all about sex, it's C-E-X, customer experience, customer and employee experience. It's subtitled The Essential Guide to Customer and Employee Experience, and it became an Amazon best-selling book in five categories and two countries. Since that 
humble start, Jason, has transformed the way people interact with organisations across a litany of sectors. He's currently Director of Customer Experience at Volkswagen Group Australia. In our discussion today, Jason talked to me about the three lenses of human connection. He described the importance of active listening and listening across industries. And he shared with us the experience promises of Volkswagen Australia. Make it simple, make it happen, make it personal. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Jason Bradshaw. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from very close by relative to many of my other guests, Sydney, Australia, Jason Bradshaw from The Power of Sex. And no, we're not going to get dirty today. That's sex as in C-E-X and we'll explain that a little bit more as we go along. Jason is a keynote speaker. He's a coach and an author focused on business growth through experience management. Jason is also the Chief Customer and Marketing Officer of Volkswagen Group Australia. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Jason. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Jürgen, it's great to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Now, CEX stands for Customer Experience, I'm, I'm guessing. And I know that you're really passionate about helping people serve their audiences better and grow their business through managing those experiences, through engineering good experiences. So what is it that actually drives you? Yeah, so uh, SEX is uh, the acronym I use for customer and employee experience. And um, certainly I think your listeners might have uh, had to double tap on their podcast uh, <laughs> app uh, to make sure they had got the right, uh, right podcast with that opening. Uh, but uh, thank you for that. Um, look, at the age of 14, I started my very first business selling a range of telecommunications and computer hardware and software. Um, and, you know, at 14, uh, a large part of that was just driven out of the desire to get the new shiny object. Um, that mum and dad couldn't buy for me. But uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and with entrepreneurial grandparents. And so when I was interviewed at 14 years of age, I said that I couldn't compete on price because, you know, I was literally working out of my bedroom. I wasn't buying in bulk, um, I, uh, but I could compete on service. And over the, the decades that have, uh, that have uh, taken place since then, since those humble beginnings, uh, I've been able to grow my career I've been able to grow a number of successful businesses and help others grow and businesses grow through an absolute commitment to delivering an experience that is worthy of, of a reputation, worthy of sharing, worthy of storytelling. And I fundamentally believe that the way businesses will grow and scale in 2020 and, and beyond is through an unrelenting focus on customer employee experience. And I think every interaction should be one that helps build loyalty and advocacy as opposed to it just being a transaction. You know, it, mm. if, if we rely our, and create our businesses around transactions, then that's easy to disrupt. Someone who can always find a faster way, a cheaper way to do it. Uh, but also, uh, you know, it feeds into this notion that people aren't required in business. Yet, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, 
you and I both uh, both uh, would agree that people are essential to business and and certainly essential to our communities and to our happiness. So for me, uh, it all starts and ends with, ends with the experience that we create for our customers and our and our team members. Mm, yeah, wonderful. Thanks for that explanation. And you you said a few trigger words there that um, kind of made me think. Well, you know, there's a really good fit here because we're all about making marketing human again. And it's about, you know, let's not abdicate to all these wonderful AI tools that we have, which are great when used correctly, but um, people tend to abdicate to them and take out that human experience or that human connection, that relationship part. And the other thing that you mentioned there was you know moving away from it just being a transaction and that's so i i love that and i'm seeing more and more that people talk about the experience economy experience marketing so um how can we make sure that these just don't become buzzwords for the next decade because it's you know it's, <laughs> it's, it's, they're starting to be talked about <laughs> and and i hadn't noticed them before maybe it's just my um you know, perception is projection kind of thing because I'm yeah. paying attention more to that kind of stuff. But how can we make sure that we're actually doing that? How can we integrate it into our culture rather than just kind of talk about it? Mm. Well, you know, we talk about buzzword bingo. I can I can remember there was an entire decade not that long ago where uh, companies talked about becoming uh, about employee engagement, and of course now we say employee experience. And they are different things, but very similar at the same time. Uh, and I think uh, that that happens when people uh, focus on what sounds cool versus doing the actual work. Um, and uh, you know, you touched on you know marketing, making marketing human again. In my book, it's all about sex at CEX. I talk about customers and employees measuring their experience across three lenses. One of those lenses is a human connection, and I fundamentally believe that those customers, those team members that are loyal and that advocate for you have developed a human connection with organizations. And what I mean by that is not that every transaction has to be done by a person, but that the, the human elements that we value like trust are absolutely reinforced through every transaction and, and through every interaction. And so I think the way that we move towards this not being a buzzword bingo is to have really strong processes uh, uh, embedded in organizations that are designed to amplify the voice of the consumer, the voice of the employee, and not focus, as many organizations do, on the score or the metric. You know, if, mm. you know, I think every organization or every major organization um, around the world and many small to medium businesses measure customer satisfaction or net promoter score or something like that. The score doesn't matter if you're not actually reading what drove that score. And so if you fundamentally build in a process of listening to your customers, listening to your employees, then making your decision, I think you'll have uh, you know, made strides to making marketing human again, making organizations human again, and really putting at the heart of every decision what matters most, and that's the people that you serve. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, not focusing on the, the metrics as a primary 
driver. And if you do look at the metrics, understanding, well, why why is that net promoter score, for example, going up or down or what's contributing to that part of the met, net promoter score? I mean, it's a little bit like on social media where people talk about, oh, I've got uh, 5,000 followers on LinkedIn or I've got um, or connections or I've got um, 10,000 likes on this one blog post. But unless there's some sort of relationship happening that's leading to a conversation, it, it really is just a number, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, I can remember the time when you would, in a marketing report, talk about how many followers you had and what was the reach of a post. Mm. And of course, now everyone's looking at what's the engagement? Are people engaging? Are they sharing? Are they commenting? And I think that engagement is about being human. If people aren't interacting with content in that digital social media space, then the content is not adding value. And it's certainly not helping your business grow because it's engagement that leads to growth, not just purely, you know, taking out a full page ad, which is basically what you're doing on social media when no one interacts with it. Hmm. <laughs> you might as well just yeah, go and right. give the money to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Now, um, your work with Volkswagen Australia, I'm, I'm just picturing this large multinational organization where the end user are individuals like myself purchasing vehicles, but there's also uh, organizations that purchase a whole fleet of vehicles for their employees. Then there's dealers and service agents and strategic partners, I'm guessing, and probably a whole lot more. So in terms of having that consistent, really good experience going right throughout from the organization and its employees to all those different stakeholders right through to the end use customer, how do you go about coordinating all that and making sure there's, there's that consistent experience? So everybody's talking about Volkswagen Australia that, you know, Here's the experience we have with them, regardless of whether I'm buying a car or whether I'm taking my car into service or whether I'm a, a service provider to mm. somebody associated with that company. Everybody's talking about the experience in the same way and ideally, of course, in a positive way. Yeah. So, look, it, it, for us, it all started with setting the pillars of success, if you like. What are the behaviours that uh, we want our want our customers to experience and so we created at volkswagen uh, volkswagen australia what we call our experience promises and they've evolved over the years so this my position didn't exist five years ago and uh, when one of the first things that we did was create these experience promises and there were five originally and then we moved uh, just this year we 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 used customer and employee feedback and we repackaged those into three promises um, to make it to, to increase the clarity um, around what we were expecting. And those three promises that we make, and we make them to our employees and to our customers equally, is first of all, we want to make it simple. You know, the car ownership, the car buying experience should be simple. And so we measure and build, measure our dealer partners around making it simple. We measure ourselves around making it simple. And importantly, it drives our decision-making in terms of processes. So if a process has 100 steps, are 100 of those absolutely necessary? Are they adding value? Or is there a simpler way of doing it? The, the second uh, that uh, promise that we make 
uh, to our consumers uh, and, and, our, and to our community is that we make it happen. Now, you, you know, you alluded to the size of Volkswagen Group. Volkswagen Group is the world's largest automotive company based on vehicle deliveries. And, um, you know, we have many, many brands. And so, you know, with that comes uh, bureaucracy uh, and processes. And sometimes those processes can't, weren't designed for a particular situation. So that's why we have this uh, promise that we're going to make things happen. And that's all about empowering our team members to get the right result for the business and for the customer, even if that means that they've got to challenge the process at times. And it gives them permission to do that. And then the third uh, element that we promise is that we make it personal. And for me, that is why we're able to serve you, people like you and I who are buying cars just for ourselves and our family and large corporations that are buying hundreds of cars at a time. Because making it personal means understanding what the customer's desires, both stated and unstated are, and what the problem they're trying to solve through this purchase or through their, the service or whatever they're trying to achieve. And so those three promises we use uh, in a number of ways. First of all, we use them to measure ourselves against. We use them um, as uh, to guide our training programs. We Everything in the organization ladders into those three promises and is, is and those promises become the yardstick. And so if we're doing something that is against that, then we really have to put some uh, uh, you know, detailed thinking into whether that's the right thing to do. And in most cases, it's not the right thing to do. And that's the promises help solve that problem for us. And so, um, you know, in, multi in every multi-franchise environment that I've worked in um, and with multiple partners, I've, I've come down to this process of distilling what are the promises that matter uh, to consumers, to building brand advocacy, and then ensuring that we embed those into the organization so that they become the, you know, the, the question marks that guide us. And so as a manager in the organization, instead of going up to someone and berating them about something they did or didn't do, you can reframe that coaching opportunity and say, so can, she, can you explain to me here how your actions made it simple for the customer hmm. or made it simple for the dealer? And everyone can understand that. And it allows you to embed and to improve. And uh, I think that's the key to, to going towards consistency. And consistency breeds trust and trust breeds loyalty. So for me, it's about laddering up the behaviors that lead to ultimately advocacy. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love the, the idea and, and keeping it sort of so clear with just very, I mean, you're basically living the simplicity by having here's our experience promises and there's three things and they're pretty, they're pretty, I mean, very easy to understand and very clear to everybody. So how do you how do you build in a culture or or you know was that there before building in that culture of the employee feeling empowered to make changes where they feel that something's out of alignment with those promises or um, calling it out to people that can make the change? So, you know, my experience in Volkswagen and other companies is that, that most cultures in large organizations, at least, are, are cultures of compliance 
not one of challenging the status quo. And so in those environments, uh, you know, what I would certainly encourage you to do is create safe spaces to challenge the status quo. So in the very first few years that I was at Volkswagen, we ran we ran uh, sessions, we called them connecting to yes, and the, the, it was about how do we connect to uh, a mindset of saying yes to our customers or yes to our dealers. And we created these really safe workshops where uh, external facilitators would come in and use all sorts of things like uh, you know drawing and uh, drawing as an example, mind mapping as another example, to allow people to challenge without fear of uh, any sort of recourse. And so through creating these activities, if you like, and then importantly taking you know, one to two of those ideas that come up through those processes and embedding those, making those changes, it, it creates that trust that, okay, we can now start to challenge in healthy ways what we're doing if it's going to lead towards a better outcome for our business. CG, is it going to make it simple? Is it going to make it human? And is it going to make it possible? And so it, it, it's not, culture change is not an overnight activity. It's an activity that is, it has to be constant and it has to be absolutely focused on a North Star or a guiding ambition, if you like. Um, you know, when, when I say that we did things differently, we took uh, everyone, not all at once, we, we took people at a, a, over a series of time off site to a airlines training facility. Now, uh, you know, that was designed to just break up people's thinking. You know, they're sitting in a mopped up air, uh, aircraft while they're brainstorming how to fix a problem. <laughs> you, know, you know, the last time I checked, we don't make planes, but it, it was about creating those environments that were different and unique to stimulate thinking, but also to create safety and a really visual indicator that things are changing. Hmm. And so, yeah. I, you know, I would always encourage leaders, whether you've got a cultural problem or a culture that you need to improve, that it's about creating these safe spaces for people to express what is and isn't working and, and then working with that to help them then move towards a, a better state. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love the sort of taking people out of the standard environment and then making sure everybody understands this is a safe place and you can, it's a kind of a simulator, which yeah. is perhaps the model that the, the aircraft facility um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's also important repetition, repetition, sorry, and consistency are also important. So if you say that customers matter, and then you stop saying that, you know, a yeah. month or two down the track, people go, "Yeah, it was the buzzword of the week or the buzzword of the yeah. month." And so I can remember in the first first year that I was in the organisation, every single month I was in front of all of our our dealer partners. Uh, and our and our field teams saying here are what we're this is what we promise and this is what I'm going to measure against and this is what great looks like and just kept saying it and saying it and saying it and you know you would get oh here we go eyes rolling he's doing it again but it's and it's important hmm. that you take the time uh, th to build that belief that it's not going away and so that over time you get you know the masses to come on board the journey. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing. And people people sometimes forget that 
you know, we need to repeat messages like that, whatever message it might be, because they get that sort of reaction, that eyes rolling, here we go again reaction, and they think, oh, okay, I'm looking stupid here. And then they kind of, the ego gets in the way, right? And they say, okay, I'll leave that for now. Yeah. And then they wonder why suddenly, how come we're not doing this anymore while you stop yeah. telling us about the message? So, so the Ritz-Carlton uh, is one of the world's most famous luxury hotel groups. And yet at the start of every shift, every team member starts their day or their shift in the same way. And as part of that same way is looking at uh, one of their uh, service standards, whether it be their three steps of service, their, their credo, their service values, they've got 12 of them. And every single day, they look at just one of those and they share a story around what great looks like and they talk about it as a group. Every single person doesn't, you know, from the custodian to the GM of the hotel, uh, they go through this process every single day. And, you know, I, I put myself in, in the shoes of that team member that's been working at the Ritz-Carlton for 20 years. You know, and they have phenomenal loyalty rates in terms of employee retention. Imagine for 20 years, every single day of your shift, day of your working life, you you spend ten, five to 10 minutes talking about something you've heard for the last, you know, 19, 20, 20 years. Hmm. But it's that consistency that means that they have such a great reputation, such a loyal customer base, um, and importantly, um, that their employees know instinctively what is expected of them because they hmm. there's there's nothing but clarity and i think that that clarity is what breeds success for them and their customers it's also why they they have a rule that every team member at um, uh, every lady and gentleman that works for Ritz carlton um, can gift up to two thousand uh, dollars in value to any single guest to resolve a problem now, that sounds like a lot. And when I talk to organizations about it, they're like, oh, I could never let my team members do that. I would go broke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every single lady and gentleman that works at a Ritz-Carlton around the world has that authority. They don't have to ask permission. They can make the decision on the spot. And the amount of money they actually spend on that program is a drop in the ocean. It, you know, mm. They're profitable. They keep growing. There's new ones opening. It works for them. And most of their ladies and gentlemen never in their careers give away anywhere near $2,000, you know, in their entire career. Because it's about that mindset of you have to make it right for the customer and you're empowered to do so. And they're empowered and trained in such a way that usually they can make it right without handing over, you know, real tangible cash. It's, you know, it's about that mindset and creating that culture. Yeah, yeah. So I think that consistency piece, let them roll their eyes uh, because the consistency will will breed the results that you're after in the long run. Yeah, yeah, and you've touched on something there. I mean, that's a beautiful example. And the idea, I mean, if if each employee knows they've got two thousand dollars that they can fix an issue, whatever that issue might be, right there and then, um, it's unlikely that they're going to jump straight in and spend two thousand. But that, like you say, that mindset of, okay, I've, I've got the power to fix this problem straight away. And then if you have in that culture that if there is an issue come up, I will fix it straight away. The value of that is is immeasurable. Exactly. And 
you know, I think what it is saying is that you, if you get a problem from a, from a guest in the Ritz-Carlton experience, then you own that problem. You know, it's your job to resolve it. It's not your job to say, I'm the custodian, that's the front desk's job, or yeah. I'm the front desk, that's housekeeping's job, or, you know, the, the, the room service uh, job or, or what have you. It's your job to fix it. And it doesn't mean you have to know the answers to everything, but you have to own the resolution for the consumer. And you know, I think there's many example of organizations that are famous for just getting it right for customers. And they get it right by letting their people do what's necessary to fix it in the moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of organizations get this really wrong. I had a couple of experiences early on in uh, our lockdown here due to the pandemic where on one occasion uh, my phone died and I was told when I phoned the service center I was told I'll just bring it in we'll fix it straight away and I said well you know are you an essential service because if you're not um, I can't come well I'm not allowed to go out first of all but secondly you won't be open <laughs> but the person at the other end of the phone no no this is our process and there was just no no ownership of the problem, no understanding that, hey, I've got to adapt because the situation demands a different response here. And then the other occasion was one where um, a part I had on my bicycle failed. Um, it was a material fault. It was um, two years or three years out of guarantee. And yet the company, you know, they when I contacted them, they said, send, me, send us the part. Um, get the bike shop to send the part. Um, they replaced it, no questions asked. And, and you know, I, I would say for me, I mean, it was a frustrating experience to have the part break while I was riding the bicycle and it kind of cost me something. But at the same time, the response that they gave actually grew my loyalty, built my loyalty. Yeah. Because and I know, I know, you know, I mean, generally they 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 produce really good quality parts, and on this one occasion where it failed, they responded and fixed the issue really quickly. Absolutely, and I would suggest that that organisation has absolutely absolute clarity around what matters to them. And mm. I don't know what the cost of the part was, but you buying another bike in the future or telling someone that the story that you just shared is more value to them than whatever the manufacturing and shipping mm. cost of that part is. And, and that's where organizations, I think, get themselves so tied up in knots. You know, they, they look at the, uh, at the pennies and try to not spend the pennies at the cost of loyalty. You know, I've, I've, I've worked in two very large telecommunication companies um, with mobile phone services. Um, and there was always the metric around how many customers are leaving you. Hmm. Um, and there was always the metric around how many customers are joining you. But no one, well, at least while I was with them, was looking at the cost of that saving or rescuing that customer before they left. And, and you know, the my understanding now is that most, most uh, service providers, whether it be internet or mobile or telephone, you know, they're now looking at, okay, it is cheaper for me to do the right thing and retain this customer than it is to put a new customer in their place. And uh, 
you know, it, it's a shame that people, you know, people have to go through these years of just letting customers leave before they wake up and go, actually, I spent a lot of money to get this customer. Well, I, you know, it's probably worth me investing a little bit more time to keep them. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it comes back to listening. You know, uh, uh, you think about, uh, you think about uh, your traditional cable TV provider. I, you know, I, I've had so many conversations with people over the years since people like Netflix and, and Hulu and, and other streaming services have come in. And, and they're like, oh, I'm cancelling my cable subscription. It's costing me $110 a month. And, you know, I see them running ads all the time where it's only $50 if you're a new customer. So I'm just, I'm cancelling it and I'm going to just get Netflix. And, you know, two months, three months, four months, maybe a year later, you say, oh, you know, how's that streaming service that going? They're like, oh, yeah, I love Netflix. I love Disney Plus. I love Hulu. They're still spending $110 or more on subscription TV. And the only loser in this pie is the cable TV company that failed to listen to what the consumers were saying they wanted from an evolution of the product. Hmm. Yeah, that's and, right. You know, l listen to what your customers tell you. You know, Mr. Ford said, said if he asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not a car. Mm. You know, perhaps that's true. Uh, but uh, I also do think that certainly these days that consumers give you a lot of hints around mm. what they want, both in their product from an evolution point of view and, of course, from what it takes to, to keep them. And, uh, mm. and, and we, we all need to get better at embedding that listening as opposed to that metric. Mm. Yeah, well, certainly, I mean, customer retention is something that's big and, and um, with customer experience, that's, that's one really good way to have that customer retention be really high. And your two examples, I mean, my favorite kind of beef, <laughs> one of my favorite beefs, um, and your two examples of the telecommunications company and the, the cable companies are prime examples of that where they offer special deals to new customers who they don't have a relationship with they haven't been loyal you know they might have been customers in the past but they jumped ship and now they're outside that um, customer environment so they're luring them back in by offering them special deals and if you as an existing customer say i'd like to participate in that special deal because it's half price compared to what i'm paying um, they say oh no it's only for new customers <laughs> Well, yeah. what a great way to treat your customer. Well, there, there's, a, there's a telco here, a telecommunications company here in Australia. And, uh, you know, I, I understand if I'm under a contract with them that I can't just change that contract to go to another contract that's because it's a better deal now, right? But if I'm out of contract, then that should, you know, and I say, look, I'm happy to recontract, but I want to recontract on this offer that you're giving to new customers. Uh, that should be fine. But no, they, they, they flatly refuse to do that. Now, the really crazy thing is, in their terms and conditions, uh, it says that you have to, to get the deal, you can't have been a customer for the la in the last 30 days. Hmm. The, in Australia, the, the government has made it so easy under legislation to switch your telecommunications company if you're not under contract. So what do people do? They walk into one of their competitors, they pay them, uh, you know, a 30 days worth of service up front, yeah. they move out and then they move back and they get the new deal and all the sweet <laughs> offers 
And all that's happened is both organizations have spent money attracting and losing customers. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, and, and, also, and also the the loyalty, I mean, the loyalty point, bonus points have decreased, right? The, if yeah. you say there's a bank account with that customer that has loyalty points in it, well, you've just made a huge deduction from that. Yeah. And the really crazy thing is that someone sitting in a team somewhere going, I've just attracted a new customer. No, you didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a customer you lost because they you know, had to play your game to get the deal they wanted. Hmm. Yes, that's right. So another example of vanity, metri vanity metrics. Yeah, and certainly not making the marketing human again when you, uh, when you create a situation where customers uh, actively game it so that they can get the deal. Hmm. Okay. Um, so one of the things you talk about quite a bit is experience management. So tell us a little bit more about that. How do you, you know, take this whole concept of customer experience and, and kind of put strategies into place where you can manage them and engineer really fabulous experiences? Mm -hmm. So when I, when I talk to people about customer experience, a lot of the time people say, do you mean customer satisfaction? Or do you mean a survey? And, um, you know, it's where my eyes probably roll up into my head um, <laughs> because for me, customer experience or experience management isn't a survey program. Yes, you will have a survey or a listening post, but it's not the program. It's not what experience management is, it's just mm. an element. And so for me, experience management is about a number of, of key pillars. First of is that you have to define uh, really clearly what the experience that you promise to your customer is or to your employee. And, I, you know, the really easy example of what I mean by that is FedEx. Now, when FedEx famously claims that when it absolutely has to be there overnight, FedEx it. So their promise is really clear, you know, overnight delivery. Therefore, internally at FedEx, everyone should be focused on every action that they do should enable the fulfillment of that promise. That is part of experience management. Now, there will be some practitioners out there that say, will say, you need to go and build a journey map to achieve that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I, I, I love and hate journey mapping in, in equal portions. It's the promise and having everyone aligned to that promise, which is part of experience management. The second part of experience management, now that you know what you're promising, is measuring yourself against that promise. Um, and so, yes, this is where a survey or some sort of listening post comes into, into play. But as you probably guess, I care less about the NPS, the customer SAT score, and more about the words that customers are saying around that. And then you use, you create a process where those words feed into the decision making of an organization. So if you've got people saying, uh, you know, if 90% of your consumers are saying that you're not delivering on this element of your promise, then that should be feeding into your decision-making, whether it's an operational process, whether it's a marketing campaign, whether it's, whether it's a delivery process, um, so that you can fix that. So, you know, if, if I go back to the FedEx example, you know, your promise is absolutely overnight. If you see customers are saying, well, you said it was going to be overnight, but it didn't get to the customer by, you know, to the end destination by 9 a.m. 
if you see lots of people going, well, it didn't get there by 9 a.m., it didn't get there by 10 a.m., then your marketing team should be going and your operational team should be going, okay, is there something that we need to clarify in our promise so that we still deliver on it, but meet or exceed the customer's expectations? And what I mean by meeting or exceeding the customer's expectation is not changing the promise to say overnight means 9 a.m. Uh, and then delivering at 8.50. It means overachieving in the consistency rank being easier for the customer to achieve that promise. Those uh, sorts of areas that you can control. And it might mean, to go back to my FedEx example, that every time so, that, that as part of your booking process of your parcel, you say that overnight means delivery before midday the next day. Mm. And so that customers are aware of what you're going to deliver and that you do it consistently. And when something doesn't go right, you you proactively get in there and fix it. So for me, experience management is, you know, I gave an example around a customer promise, but it's your customer promise, it's your employee promise, it's it's the brand experience that you're delivering. So what are people saying about your brand? And bringing all that information together to inform and guide your business decisions. That it it's it's much more than just you know sending a survey out there and saying, look, I get four out of five stars. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a, a great example, and it highlights that you know when when making that uh, a promise like that, that you need to be really clear that everyone understands what that means, and and the expectations inside the company for the employees is that you know we actually over deliver on this one. So here's the promise, and ideally, you would you know 100 percent deliver on that, but probably 80% of the time you would be exceeding that so that um, customers give you feedback like, wow, they said overnight delivery, but it actually it was on the doorstep when I woke up this morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and for me, over delivery, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of um, uh, over uh, under promise and over deliver. Uh, for me, what's more important is that consistency piece and consistency unfortunately in our world is over delivery uh, in, in most people's lived experience right so if you can get it there earlier if you use the package example if you can get it there earlier great but the very first step to being different from every other delivery company is just consistently doing what you say yeah. you're going to do right uh, mm. once you've got that consistency nailed then you can look at well can I do it faster again can I do it faster consistently or Strategically, I'm going to do it faster at strategic moments that matter to make a difference so that there doesn't create a new expectation. And, you know, that comes back to listening to customers around what matters. Um, you know, I think about, uh, think about all those uh, tech-hungry enthusiasts out there that love their new shiny objects from Apple each year or from Samsung. You know, you're on what most people are on one side of those arguments. You know, I love Apple or I love, I love, I love an Android device. Um, you know, Apple has fundamentally built into their delivery process on launch day over communicating the journeys that your package is going to so that their call centers don't get bombarded with, mm. you know, it's launch day and my new phone hasn't arrived. Well, <laughs> Yes, it's on its way. You can you see that it's left the warehouse. It's with the delivery driver, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is done 
to manage the experience of the consumer and at the same time to manage the resources of the organization so they don't have to have an extra thousand operators there saying, yeah, the, you know, I can see the package is moving. <laughs> you know, they've automated some of that and, and they do it consistently to manage the experience and make it one that is, is getting out of the way of the consumer's worry, that, you know, making it simple and easy for the consumer. Hmm. Yeah, and and you mentioned Apple as an example there, and certainly that whole experience, I mean, it's not just the products, it's that whole experience that goes with it, isn't it? And uh, you touched on something there in terms of automation, that they've automated this one particular part of the process, which helps helps them manage customer expectations. And, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, we talked about automation and people abdicating to automation. So I think that's a really great example. So have you got any other great examples where automation is used to actually give a better experience to customers and at the same time free up people to work on the interactions, the personal interactions, the human relationships? Yeah, look, uh, you know, the example that I, I that comes to mind, which is uh, controversial but not controversial at the same time, um, is Amazon. And I actually believe that one of Amazon's greatest successes is the amount of trust that they have built with consumers. And so I always talk about Amazon as really delivering on that human connection part of how customers measure their experience because they trust Amazon. And, and then the challenge that I get back, and, and I completely get the challenge, is what do you mean? Like I press, I, I have one-click purchasing. I don't talk to someone. How are they making a human connection with me? Well, they're making a human connection with you because they've built a technology platform that means that you, first of all, can just one-click to buy your, your whatever you want to buy, your book or your, hmm. your uh, washing powder and what have you, and that will get shipped to you. That that one click is is so powerful that Amazon patented it, the technology, and companies like Apple license it from Amazon because of the power of the convenience that that delivers. But then, secondly, they have a process that enables that. You know, if if you're an Amazon Prime member, you know, when I was living in New York, I was an Amazon Prime member, and I you know, order something today, and it'd be on my doorstep tomorrow, and it would always be there, and so I would trust that if I buy something from Amazon, it's going to be arriving when they say it's going to arrive and it's going to uh, perform how they expected. And this enables the company to have uh, you know, all their resources focused on delivering what value to their consumers. But the real key part with Amazon is that that automation didn't mean that they closed their call centers down. And, you know, Jeff Bezos is famous for running Amazon for years at millions of dollars of losses because of his focus on customers. And the reason why to this day they have contact centers, even though their automation is amazing and they preemptive shipping and all sorts of things. But the reason they have those contact centers is because sometimes things go wrong. And when they go wrong, they want to fix them quickly so that they don't break the trust that they've built up with you over time. And that's why when you ring an Amazon call center, the person talking to you doesn't have a timer that says that they can only talk to you for three minutes. Their timer is actually one about resolution. When they put down that phone or they respond to your email, the goal of Amazon is that that's the last time they have to talk to you about that problem. 
because they want to get it right for you the first time. And, you know, Zappos, uh, a large shoe retailer in America, you know, Tony Shea, who unfortunately passed away uh, recently, but Tony Shea famously built that company around empowering his team to focus on the customer, yet built the processes in the background to make sure that shoes got to you overnight and that everything was hassle-free. And I think companies like Amazon have, have absolutely built this trust through automation, but they ensure that they don't break that trust by having teams in place to get it right when it goes wrong. Hmm. Yeah, which I think that's a great example of where um, it's not an abdication to automation. It's, hey, we can use the automation to ensure that all these promises that we make are delivered on and in the event something goes wrong, we'll have that human connection. Yeah. And so, often... Sorry, Jürgen, I just reminded myself of um, an example of Allstate Insurance in the US. Um, I famously have sat on stages at conferences, on panels at conferences, and said that I hate chatbots. And I think chatbots are, the, you know, an absolute golden, you know, held up as a gold, golden example of automation uh, mm. in customer service. Allstate, if you go to Allstate's insurance website, they have a chatbot now. But the, before they had a chatbot that was customer facing, they created a chatbot for their call center agents. And the reason they did that was if a call center agent didn't know the answer to the question that they were talking to the customer on, they would go on the chatbot and every agent would get exactly the same information fed from a knowledge base of some sort so that the mm. answer they were giving to a customer was right as opposed to the best guest endeavors. And I think yeah. that's a fantastic example of automation, a tools like chatbots being used to actually empower team members to deliver the right results. Now, my view on chatbots have changed over the years, but I still think that you know, technology-led solutions around automation need to make it easier for you and I to connect so that I want to, and whether you and I are individuals or, or brands, so that I can spend my time advocating and enjoying the product or the service. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, good example with the chatbot side. Um, I hadn't seen that one before, so I'll have to dig into that some more. But yes, uh, getting the right answer and quickly getting the right answer, which is often a challenge when, when as a consumer, you see the chatbot there. Um, often you ask a question and, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know the answer to that. And I, I remember doing one where I eventually typed, I rephrased the question because that's what it said. It said, basically, you know, do you want to rephrase the question? So I rephrased it a little bit, still came back with no answer. Do you want to rephrase the question? So ultimately, I rephrased it in the sense of, can I talk to a person? <laughs> and it didn't understand that question either. <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my, my big criticism of chatbots is that, um, you know, that they, they, they're generally very bad at handing you off from the automated experience into the one-to-one -one experience. And mm. there are times where you need that handoff. And mm. uh, people, people challenge me on that, but I, I'm yet to see a great example of that handoff from automation to the human. And you know, if you type a question like, you know, I need to speak to a person and it still doesn't understand that, yeah. There's something fundamentally wrong. I, I do think, I have softened a little bit, but I do think that for low value, 
high transaction activities, then chatbots have a place. Like, you know, if you go to your bank's website and you want to know where your closest branch is, you know, yeah. that should be automated. And I think people are okay with that. But if I, you know, if I want to borrow a couple of million dollars to buy a house, personally, I want to see the banker. I don't want to talk yeah. to a computer. Yeah, that's right. Yes, you want to know, you want to, you need a high level of security around that particular transaction to call it yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, this is absolutely fabulous, Jason. I could go on talking all the good and bad examples of uh, customer service and customer experience and chatbots and automation for ages, but I'm just aware of the time. So I think it's a good point to move on to the buzz now which is our innovation round, and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily innovators and leaders in their field with some tips from your experience. So I have five questions, and hopefully you'll give us some really inspiring answers and inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Well, well let, let's see if I've got five, I can get five out of five. <laughs> All right. Okay, now what's the number one thing you think anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Listen to their customers. Mm. <laughs> It's not surprising you'd say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna add another to to, to that if I may. And most organisations have an a unhealthy fixation on their competitors. I would mm. say if you want to want to be innovative, you need to listen to your customers, and you need to listen to market leaders in another industry. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. Think, think of the yellow taxi companies um, around, or the taxi cabs around the world. They didn't get disrupted because someone was sitting at the yellow taxi company going, oh, look at the white taxis. They're doing that stuff. Mm. <laughs> mm. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, that, that's the, many of the disruptions are like that, aren't they? If you think of Airbnb and a totally different model. So it didn't come out of the out of the hotel industry itself or the taxi industry in the case of Uber. But but in both instances, it could have come out of the industry if they were mm. focused on, on listening to the customers and yeah. looking at what other industries were doing to innovate. That's right. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that differentiates both of those disruption services from, you know, the traditional industry that was there before is the customer experience. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. They, they they saw that a customer was dissatisfied. Many of them were dissatisfied and said, "There's got to be a better way." Mm. And and cust cu customers are amazing people. They are always willing to tell you uh, how they think they could get it better and maybe cheaper yeah. as well, but definitely how they yeah. could get it better. Okay. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Uh, so. Uh, in in all of those organizational psychology tests that they you know companies get you to do from one time or the other, I always come out as high in the strategic thinking, uh, and um, you know sometimes it will say high in strategic thinking and a a learner and and basically uh, it, a lot all the innovation that I've driven over the years has been out of this constant thirst to experience things myself and to. Uh, try different things and to look at what other industries are doing. So, you know, I can remember when I worked for a telecommunications company, you know, uh, even today in automotive, you know, when I go overseas, I go to, you know, a different dealership or a different phone company's retail outlet to see what they're doing 
but then I also go and try see what other leading industries are to, and go, okay, how can I adapt this? So, you know, I've spent many a year going to uh, programs run by the Disney Institute. Now, I've never worked in hospitality or in theme parks or the movie making business, uh, or, or, or but I spent time with the Disney Institute because they are without a doubt leaders. The Disney organization is our leaders consistently in their field. And so I can learn something from them. You know, I've spent time with the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center and I've been fortunate enough to be featured as a thought leader with them. But you know, I've spent time with them again because they're leaders in their field. Um, I, I think the, I think you as an, if you want to strategically lead and innovate, you have to be open to trying uh, different things and doing things that are uncomfortable. Like some of the podcasts that I listen to, you know, they they can go for 90 minutes and the, for the for 85 minutes of them, they bore the hell out of me. But <laughs> but the five minutes is absolute gold. And it's not because I want to become the next, you know, electrical engineer. It's because the five minutes of gold is is what I get to apply in my situation, in my world. It's, mm. it's how companies like Airbnb come about because they go, they get some sort of input that says, actually, there's a different way I can do it in this industry. Um, so I, I say try and learn outside of your everyday day life. Get on a plane when you can and, uh, and, and go and experience a different culture. Um, you know, it, it, it really does open you up to, to innovation. Hmm. Yeah, and a key, key part of all of that in, in those different experiences is um, having a really innate sense of curiosity because I, I saw I travelled a lot in my corporate days and I saw other people that were traveling within our organization that kind of seemed to live in a bubble and never seemed to take an interest in why was that different and why did people do things the way they do things here, which is completely different to what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, curiosity is a great way to put it. Hmm. All right. Now, do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Sorry, what was that? Do you have a favorite resource that you use most often? Oh, favorite resource. I, saw, I thought you said favorite phrase that I use most often. <laughs> Probably. Um, favorite resource. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say Audible. Um, mm. and, and, and I'm an Audible member, uh, which means they take money from me automatically. Um, yeah. But it also means that I have no excuse. So I buy a new book every month and read a book every month. And so... Um, uh, but I buy it on Audible because I can read the book, if you like, while I'm on the treadmill, while I'm in the car, while I'm mm. sitting on a plane, you know, sitting on a train. What I can always access that information. And for me, any resource that helps uh, helps me learn, helps me get exposed to new ideas and thinking, that's a great resource. So, um, it, yeah, it, it absolutely have to be Audible. Mm. Great. Love it. And I'm also a member of Audible, and I've also recently got onto Scribd, which has uh, a similar model to Audible, except that it's unlimited um, for the monthly fee. You don't, you're not limited to just the one book. Now the problem there is that I end up having this collection that I've saved into my into my favourites, and I, when I want to listen to something, I say, oh. The choices. Which one do I choose now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The paradox yeah. of choice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a project or a client on track? 
start the project by defining what success looks like and continually mm. talk about how you're going towards achieving that. Because the messy middle doesn't really matter. It's, you know, <laughs> am I getting closer to achieving what success looks like? Hmm, I love it. All right, start with the end in mind and make sure you... And don't forget the end. And don't yeah, forget yeah. the end. Don't forget the end, yeah. Okay, and what's the number one thing you think anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Don't, don't set standards and then walk past them. And so what I mean mm -hmm. by that is... Uh, you know, if you have a standard that everyone at the organization is responsible for the cleanliness of the organization, don't walk past a piece of trash on the ground and go, that's mm. someone else's job. You know, stoop down and pick it up. Set, set standards and then don't walk past them. Never accept less than those standards. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect because we're, we're all human, hopefully. But uh, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but you have to have a relentless pursuit of that standard. And that will set you apart constantly. A relentless pursuit of standards. I love it. So thanks, Jason. This has been really wonderful. Now, where can people find out more about you and the work you do and maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you've shared today? Sure. So my website is jasonsbradshaw.com. It's really important that they remember the S <laughs> in the middle there, jasonsbradshaw.com. Otherwise, they'll end up at a real estate company in California. So jasonsbradshaw.com. And if your listeners go to jasonsbradshaw.com forward slash sign up, they'll also get uh, the first two chapters of my book. It's all about CEX, the Essential Guide to Customer Employee Experience with My Compliments. And of course, that is also the best way for them to keep up, uh, up to date with all the news, uh, including uh, details of my next book, which is coming out in 2021. Mm, that's exciting. So what's that book about? Uh, well, Funny enough, experience management, but really focused on how experience management can be used to grow and scale an organization. Right. Okay. Well, we'll keep our eye out for that. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes to, to those posts that you've shared. Now, do you have any parting advice today for our listener? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it should not be surprising that I'm going to say, start a habit of li listening and reviewing customer feedback hmm. and sharing that feedback with anyone in your organization that is responsible for making decisions. Hmm. Yeah, wonderful. All right. And um, finally, who else should I get on the show and why? Oh, well, there you go. Um, I would certainly encourage you to look at uh, Phil M. Jones. Um, Phil is uh, uh, one of the best-selling authors um, on Amazon uh, and, and Audible um, in the last decade. Uh, he really has this great way of helping people communicate more effectively and, effect, uh, and efficiently and reframing the sales process from being a transaction to a one of creating a connection and a relationship with a customer that uh, endures beyond the sale. Mm. Well, sounds like a really good fit. Well, thanks for that. And we'll get an introduction to Phil from you. You know him personally? Yeah, I know Phil personally. Oh, so happy to, we'll to an make an introduction. introduction and reach out to him and bring him on the show as well. So thanks so much yeah. for sharing all your insights with us today and sharing your time with us today, Jason. I've really enjoyed this. Love geeking out about all things 
S-E-C-E-X, not S-E-X, C-E-X. <laughs> I need to make sure I be careful here because we do have a clean rating <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> yes, well, we need to we need to keep it that Yeah, way. yeah. And yeah, so thanks for all that you've shared so generously today. All the best for the future. I look forward to the new book and please stay in touch. Thanks very much for having me on the show. hope you enjoyed that really engaging and wonderfully informative conversation with Jason and took something away from his episode. Jason's passion for an intense focus on customer and employee experience certainly encapsulates the idea of making marketing human. I really like the three lenses of his human connection model. I'd love to know what you took away from Jason's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Jason Bradshaw. That is J-A-S-O-N-B-R-A-D-S-H-A-W. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Jason Bradshaw. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Jason, as well as links to his website, his book, It's All About Sex his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you like this episode, please do share it with two other people that it might help. There's so much wonderful information that our guests share on every single episode, and I'm on a mission to get that into the ears of anybody who might find it helpful. So tag me in that share. And as a thank you, I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Jason suggested that we have a conversation with author and business expert Phil M. Jones on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Phil, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Jason Bradshaw. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got even more fantastic guests lined up, including innovation and lean startup expert Steve Weinstein and motivational speaker and entrepreneur Scott Mason. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.